Hey, good morning, Georgetown. Happy Palm Sunday. <clears throat> I'm so glad that you've joined us today. If you don't have this handout, it was in your bulletins. It's on the three tables in the back. You may want to grab one of those real quick. We got a couple blanks to fill in. Um, some of you maybe, um, I don't know, saw me gimping around earlier today or may just now be seeing for the first time that I have a sandal and a dress shoe on, and you may be wondering why do they trust this person on the stage? He can't get his shoes matching. <laughs> uh, I'm still recovering from a, a really exciting motorcycle crash, and exciting because I lived, yay! Uh, so thank God I'm alive. But this foot is just not able to take a shoe yet. It's not even able to take a boot just because of the top of it. But I can walk on it. So thanks be to God that I've got these pretty cool sandals. I think they're cool. Uh, and that's why my shoes don't match. All right, so let's grab a Bible. If you don't have one with you and maybe you don't have a device that has one on it, there are Bibles um, under the seats in front of you. You can pull one of those out, and I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and then also we'll be in Matthew chapter 21. Predominantly, those scriptures will be on the screens. Uh, we've been walking through 1 Samuel together for a couple of months. As we've walked through this book together, we've seen how people have lived faithful lives in spite of a number of circumstances. But for instance, Hannah, through a season of suffering and hope, she was able to trust the Lord alone. Samuel, through a season of hearing and discerning the voice of God, he was able to, by the help of his mentor and trust in God, he was able to hear the voice of God. We saw Israel go through seasons of repentance and revival and ignorance and we saw seasons of challenge and change for that same country. So each of us encounters seasons that may be similar to those at different times, each of us in our own lives, even as a community of faith, we'll walk through seasons that will be like what we've read about so far in 1 Samuel. And as we look back at our lives, we may realize we walked faithfully through that. Praise be to God. And, you know, um, hey, maybe I'm maturing in my walk with Christ. We may also look back on some of those seasons and say, man, when it got a little challenging or I had to confront this change in my life, I don't love the way I responded. And then we have a season of repentance, hopefully. Hopefully there's a season of repentance there. But we're, uh, we're about a week out, exactly, a week out from Easter, where we'll get to celebrate the resurrection of our King Jesus. So we want, to, we, we want to approach that time in a way that we're, we're maybe examining our hearts and saying, do I really affirm that Jesus is King? And so that's why we go through 1 Samuel and through Matthew chapter 21 today to ask ourselves, what kind of a king are we looking for? So you may remember the story of Abraham, and I want to summarize. We're not going to turn there. We're not going to read it all, but I just want to take like chapter 12 and say, remember Abraham was called by God to leave his home and to go to a brand new land and Abraham trusted God until he didn't. 
Abraham trusted God until he didn't, but he, he got to that new land and then he encountered kind of a season of challenge, running out of food. There's a famine. So Abraham goes to Egypt. There's nothing criminal about that, but Abraham goes to Egypt and when he gets there, he realizes, hmm, my wife is pretty good looking and they're probably going to kill me and take her because of the Pharaoh likes to do that. So Abraham's plan is no longer to trust God, but is now to just start lying and saying, this is my sister, guys. That's my sister. Trust me. She's my sister. And Abraham's found out. And Abraham, after trusting God, he turns his back on God and trusts himself, his own plans, his own devices. And I know that you guys have probably not run away from, has anybody in here run away from a famine recently? Not in America, unlikely, no. We're running to a McDonald's and we're not running, we're just driving and we just keep dishing and cramming it in the old hole there. None of us has really gone through a famine, but every one of us has likely gone through a time in life, maybe a whole season where we once trusted God and holy smokes, now we're running from him. Or now we've developed this whole different kind of a life where it really looks a a lot more like there's a different king in the throne of our hearts. And that happened to Abraham And so I think that's a question that every one of us has as a believer is, what do you do when you were once this faithful Christian, this faithful believer, this person who walked with the Lord at the very least, and then you turn your back on him? Is there any hope for someone like that? Because I think so many of us get down that path, even just a little bit, and it seems like the farther we get down that path, the less light there is, the darker life seems to grow, and the more without hope we begin to live. So friends, I'm inviting you to see yourselves this morning. It's so much easier, just like Mark said, to see those people when we open the scriptures. So when you see Israel, ask God, is there anything there this morning for me? When you see chief priests, scribes, teachers of the law, elders, don't think those people. Think, is there anything there for me? Before we get into this, I I want to pray and ask that God would use this time for, for the examination of our hearts, that we might move closer, maybe leaps and bounds closer to being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ today by his power, through his Holy Spirit working in our hearts, by washing of our hearts with his word. If you agree with that, would you pray with me? Father, uh, some of us may have recently walked through seasons just like Abraham's, uh, seasons that were very familiar with turning our back to you pursuing our own solutions, pursuing our own lifestyle, building our own kingdom. And so we're before your mighty throne this morning saying, God, would you apply your word to our hearts and to our lives that we might answer truthfully, honestly, before you, what kind of king are we seeking Father, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you're filling in those blanks and you're anything like me, you might want to write on that first blank, 
King me is an unqualified king. Some of you are ribbing a spouse or a friend. You need to calm that down. We're talking about me right now. We're not talking about them or they or those people. We're talking about me. We're talking about ourselves right now. So let's keep those elbows in check just for a second because I think you may be able to agree with me that when we're in charge of our own lives, and I don't mean literally riding our own motorcycle down the road, but maybe I'm not the best driver of those sometimes, but I mean living our lives, it is abundantly clear, I'll speak for myself, that when I'm the king, when the king is me, it is clear that I am unqualified. It is clear that I'm unfit. It is clear that I cannot be the leader of my own life that I need to be to establish even my own little kingdom. King me is an unqualified king. But as we've walked through 1 Samuel, we've seen some people who were able to live with the Lord as their king. And I will remind you of Hannah, and it's important that we remember these people as we walk through here, because we're going to review in a second. We're going to, I'm sorry, we're going to reflect, so it requires that we review. And even if you've already been here, well, then all the better reflection. So suffer me this. Hannah, in the very beginning of 1 Samuel, we remember and we recall that Hannah was able to faithfully suffer through seasons of challenge and trial and to all the while place her hope exclusively in the Lord, saying, he's the king of my heart. He is, he is the king, not me. King me's a mess. And in her barrenness, she places her hope in the Lord. And then, then we, get to see, uh, we get to see Samuel walking through that season of uncertainty. Am I hearing God? Am, am I hearing the voice? Is that Eli? What is that that I'm hearing when I lay down? And by trusting his mentor, Eli, and by trusting God, he's able to discern that voice of God. He's able to hear God speaking to him. And then we can't forget that we saw also the nation of Israel both, uh, kind of like Abraham, both be very faithful and, and, and acknowledge and affirm that the Lord is their leader. He's their king. But also, uh, instead of trusting the Almighty, they trusted the ark, and they also kind of had some, some other motives going on in their hearts at different times where they did not have the Lord as the king of their hearts. They lived through a season of challenge when they had Eli's sons, Hopni and Phinehas, worthless sons, Scripture calls them. They lived through that challenge and were able to trust God through that. So this brings us current to 1 Samuel chapter 8, where I want to begin reading. 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we'll have some of these on the screen for you guys. Your first blank, if you're filling those out, is King Me is an unqualified king. And we'll get to our second blank in just a second. So I'm in verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, yet his sons, and his, this is Samuel, Samuel's sons, uh, his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Oh, Israel's just been through this. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, worthless. Israel has already been through this. So Israel says, not again. I'm in verses 4 and 5. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, are you guys going to say this with me? They said to him, behold, you are 
oh, ouch. Oh, that would were, that were really sting. Behold, you are old. And worse yet, your sons do not walk in your ways. So Israel says, not again. We're not going to do this again. And I don't know that it's the generation that was alive when Hophni and Phinehas were in charge in the, in the tent of meeting. I don't know that it was them, but I do know that their kids are still alive. And they're just saying, not again. We're not going to have it. These new guys are a disaster for us. So I want to ask the question, and we had to review to ask these questions. I want to ask the question, who took care of the Hophni and the Phineas problem? Who is it who sent a man of God to prophesy that they're going to die? Who is it then that after the, in the battle ensured then that they did die? Who is it then when Samuel, I'm sorry, Eli heard the news, he died also just like the man of God said he would. That's the Lord. The Lord did that. Now, this is, uh, this is a different, a little bit different situation because now we have Joel and Abijah who are put in charge by Samuel and Israel's saying, man, not again. We're not doing this again. So Israel says, Israel's elders, as you can see in your text, the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel. And here's what they say in uh, verse 5, part B. They say, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So Israel's solution, instead of remembering God's faithfulness, and this is your second blank, instead of remembering God's faithfulness, Israel demands a king. Maybe, uh, maybe our new boss requires us to work overtime. Immediately we're saying, I want a new boss. Or maybe it's a week or two later because you like overtime pay. But eventually we're thinking, I want a new boss. Or maybe parents establish a new family practice and kids immediately start saying, like, I, when I'm a parent, I'm never gonna, or I'm always gonna, or whatever the preteen pontificators and the teenage sages think that they're gonna do as a perfect parent, they start saying, it. so the question is kind of, through how much discomfort, through how much difficulty can we trust the Lord alone as the king before we start to demand a new kind of king? What kind of king are we seeking? Are, are we like Israel? Like, I want a king that's just like my neighbor's king. When Israel runs up against the reality of two more poor leaders, unfit leaders, they demand that God give them a king like all the other nations in lieu of remembering his faithfulness. I'm reading from verses 6 through 9 in chapter 8. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. So Samuel still, after 40 years, he's still trusting the Lord. With his difficulty, where does he turn? Samuel prayed to the Lord. When he encountered difficulty, he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. Whew, okay, they did still say I'm old. Okay, but they've not rejected me. They've not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to 
all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me, serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. Instead of remembering God's faithfulness, Israel demands a king. Remember, we're going to be in Matthew 21 in a minute, but I want to rest here just for a second because we reviewed so that we can reflect. Let's just reflect on this. Israel wants a king just like their neighbors, and they want one to judge us, they say. Well, remember what they just had in the Lord. What did they just have? Israel was judged. They were judged by God. They were judged righteously by God. Whenever they had evil leaders, God took care of it. God took care of Eli and his sons. Israel was led by God's faithful judge, Samuel. They had what they needed. The bottom line was they just wanted to look like other people. So I wonder, to what length do you go to look like other people? And it's a silly analogy, but maybe for you, you might have been like me in high school, and when the dance came around, you started discussing with your friends, what are we going to wear to the dance? Or if you were guys, how are we going to avoid wearing dress shoes and a tie? And you all formulated your plan, and you, maybe you got out of wearing dress shoes and a tie. I was really never very good at that. My, my oldest son, Noah, tells me there's a trend on a tick. Uh, TikTok, that um, kids are wearing full, is it full neon green suits? Partially neon green suits. See, that's totally different, right? Partially, because that looks so much better. How horrible would it be to miss the memo that we're not doing that anymore? <laughs> you, you would be mortified, wouldn't you? Because we, we all have this desire, whether it's like a really big desire in our hearts or kind of lower desire where we want to be like our neighbor. We want to be similar in some way to our neighbor. So we ask how the others are going to dress. Israel wanted to stay the same as those around them. Peter says we're strangers, that we're exiles, that we're aliens, that this earth is not our home. Paul says that we can't conform, that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds with this right here by his word and by his Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and lives, transforming us to be the very image of Jesus to our community and to one another. We are to be different. We should be, Jesus says that we should be like a light on the hill. We should be so set apart that it's as though you're walking through a place of darkness and on a hill you see a light. That's how very different we should look. Yet here we have Israel. And remember, we're not saying, man, how dumb could they be? But we're asking, God, is there anything, anything at all here for me today? Are we looking for a king that allows us to remain the same? Allows us to be who we already are? Give us what we want? Because if we are, that's That's a special kind of mess. It's called a prosperity gospel. And we don't believe that this word of God has anything to do with that kind of garbage. 
We're to be a totally unique group of people who are known for love. So what kind of king are we seeking? Now, now we're moving into Matthew chapter 21, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 21 because we are remembering today is Palm Sunday. Today is a remembrance of just what Mark was talking about, of just what Ashley read, of just what we sang, Hosanna and the highest. So one week from now, we're going to get to gather to celebrate the resurrection of our King. But today and through the rest of this week, may we be a people who are asking God, what kind of King am I seeking? Who is on the throne of my heart. So in Matthew chapter 21, a couple of responses. Uh, this will be your, your third blank. Instead of seeing God's plan, the people of Jerusalem see what they want, a new earthly king. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 21, and I'm reading verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, say it with me, Georgetown, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Okay, now as we consider what it is that we just said, we joined them in saying I wonder if instead of seeing God's plan, if maybe you and I, like the people of Jerusalem, are really seeing what we want to see, a new earthly king, the kind of king that's going to give us what we want. Now, just like Israel, the people of God are recalling the Lord's promise to not let, let David's throne be vacant, to establish his house, a throne that will last forever, so some of these Israelites may indeed be proclaiming the complete and purely unadulterated truth that Jesus is the Messiah. But I think what we see is that some of them were excited because uh, they saw what might be a political savior coming into Jerusalem. Maybe Jesus right now is going to save us from Rome. Maybe he's going to allow us to not experience this, this painful peace, this Pax Romana, this, this peace that kind of comes with a very heavy hand, with soldiers and with swords and with a lot of pain and difficulty. Whenever there's an uprising, a whole town could be crushed. Maybe Jesus is going to usher in like a new rule, or maybe they saw in him a military leader. We're not just we're going to be saved from Rome, but we're going to completely decimate Rome, and the Lord is going to establish his earthly kingdom right now, and we're going to get all the benefits of being God's people again. So maybe we're going to get to have riches, or maybe we're going to get to have wealth. Maybe we'll have land from which we can derive riches and wealth, but maybe we're going to get to share in our new earthly king's power. Maybe that is the kind of king that we're currently seeking. I don't know what kind of king you're seeking in your hearts, but I would argue that if you're checking in on the bank balance and you're checking in on the investments and you're pouring your life out into the, the things that bring you profit, 
and you're doing that to the exclusion of many other areas of life, there might be something here. There may be a certain king of your heart that is whispering to you, build your kingdom. Just build your kingdom. You can still give glory and honor to God, but definitely build your kingdom. You need to expand your kingdom. You need more. So instead of seeing the Lord, and this is uh, the second and last group of people that we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 21, and we don't want to see a they and a them and a those people, instead of seeing the Lord fulfill his promises, these groups of people, the chief priests, the, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the elders, they saw a threat instead of the Lord fulfilling his promise. See, they encountered Jesus in such a way that after he's come through town, it's just like when Jesus was born. Matthew says that there was an uproar, that all of Jerusalem was an uproar. Well, now what does he say in Matthew 21 now? All of Jerusalem was in an uproar again because their hope is in this king. Well, the chief priests and the scribes and the teachers of the law and the elders, they have a bit of a different feeling. And I just challenge you to not hear this as they and them and those people. Because I wonder for how many of us we have felt like, you know, if I yield myself to Jesus, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. Maybe it's going to be so uncomfortable that my life is going to have to radically change. And now how, how, is, how is it that your heart is feeling right now as I say, yield your life to Jesus, make him the king of your heart, and he's going to radically change your life? How many of you are probably pulling the e-brake in your soul? In your heart, you're like, hang on just a second, because I kind of have these, these goals, and I've got this little kingdom I've built. And I feel threatened when you say he's going to become the king of my heart, the ruler, the boss, the Lord of my life. I feel a little threatened. I don't know if there's any room in there for you guys to consider. For me to consider, is it possible that we're like these people? I want to read to you what, what Jesus said to them after he'd encountered them in the, the temple. And they saw how the crowds were responding to him. They saw that the crowds genuinely believed he may be the Messiah. They're proclaiming him as Messiah. He's healing people. It's clear that they think he's the Messiah. He's saying he's the Messiah. And what do they feel? They feel threatened. So here's Jesus' response to the fact that they feel threatened. And I hope this response by Jesus is something that can be applied to our hearts, not just they and them and those people, but our hearts. So I asked for a service, however this works best for you, I want you to imagine Jesus speaking this to us. I want you to imagine, if you need to imagine some chief priests and some scribes and you're just with them, that's okay. But just imagine Jesus saying these words to us. He gives them two parables and I'm reading from verses 28 and following in Matthew chapter 21. If you want to read your scripture, you can read that. If you want to close your eyes, you can do that. You cannot fall asleep. I'm going to yell a lot so you don't. But I really want this to be Jesus' message to us. What do you think? 
This is Jesus speaking. A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And then he went to the other son and he said the same. And he answered, I I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two obeyed his father? Well, they said, maybe, maybe we said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it and he dug a wine press in and he built a tower and he leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, stoned another. And again, he sent servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they'll respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. And when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, maybe we said to him, he'll put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees and maybe us today heard these parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And those chief priests and those Pharisees had to decide that day, is this the king? Is this the king? So I ask you today, Georgetown, what kind of king are you seeking? I would ask that you bow your heads for a couple of more questions. We're about to leave and begin a week where we may or may not reflect on these questions. We may or may not invite the Lord to examine our hearts and to say, Lord, there's a place for you in my heart here. On the throne of my heart, there is a place that is just for you. So a couple of questions. Are you still saying, King me? 
in spite of how unqualified you may be, are you still saying, king me? Or are you, are you demanding that you, as the king of your own heart, get to try to look like everybody else instead of remembering God's faithfulness? Are we looking for that lesser earthly king? Maybe a, it may be a person or a position that we focus on instead of looking for how God could be working out his plan in our lives. Are we threatened when we see that the truth is Jesus is the only king fit to sit on the throne of our hearts? This morning, if if King Me is ruling in your heart and you have a, a step to take of repentance and you want to talk with someone or pray with someone, now is the time. Come to the front and we'll pray with you. We'll talk about how you want to turn your life back over to the Lord. Maybe this morning is a time where you've never declared that Jesus is the only King who is able to not only save you, but to give you a new life. And if that's you this morning, I invite you to come when we sing and to make Him both Savior and Lord of your life. Father God, this morning we acknowledge that you are the only rightful king for the throne of our hearts. Father, as a church, we want to be a people who say that Jesus is our king. Lord, we need you. We need you to remake us into the image of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name.